This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the first chapter. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, who has looked with favor on me, a lowly servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is the name of the Lord." whose mercy is for the God-fearing from generation to generation. The arm of the Lord is filled with strength, scattering the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped Israel, the Lord's servant, in remembrance of mercy according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. In August of 1963, as people gathered in greater and greater numbers for the March on Washington for Jobs and Justice, a young Martin Luther King Jr. told the crowd that it was one of the greatest demonstrations for dignity and freedom ever held in the United States. He would later address them with a speech about his dream for an unjust world turned upside down by the power of God's love. But leading up to that speech, the whole afternoon was filled with songs. If you go to YouTube, as I did last week, you can see and hear the musicians who performed that day, and you can just feel the energy that they brought to the diverse people who'd come to Washington that day. And in essence, all of the songs were really songs about justice and hope. Joan Baez took an Arlo Guthrie song called We Shall Overcome and sang it with such passion and conviction that it soon became really the theme song of the civil rights movement that was growing. Bob Dylan introduced the crowd to edgy songs from his new album called The Times They Are A-Changin'. And Peter, Paul, and Mary sang Pete Seeger's If I Had a Hammer in a way that stirred up a lot of feelings within them, within their own hearts. Remembering the event later, Mary Travers said, we started to sing and I had an epiphany. Looking out at this quarter of a million people, I truly believe that we were seeing the beginning of positive social change. 
Hearing that, I thought of the younger Mary, who ran to the home of her cousin Elizabeth in our gospel story today. In the passion of the moment, she too broke into song. And it was a song of justice and hope. It was a song that had all of that justice and hope of we shall overcome. It had the edginess of the times we are a-changing. And it had the power of if I had a hammer. In a modern translation featured in our Holden Evening Prayer Service, Mary sings, Great and mighty are you, O Holy One. Strong is your kindness forevermore. How you favor the weak and the lowly one, humbling the proud of heart. You have cast the mighty down from their thrones and uplifted the humble of heart. You have filled the hungry with wondrous things and left the wealthy no part. Throughout history, many powerful people have understood the revolutionary nature of Mary's song, and they've actually banned it from public life. When the British ruled India, for example, they understood the cultural and socioeconomic and political implications of this song of Mary, and they didn't allow it to be sung in any churches in India. Similarly, similarly during what was called the Dirty War in Argentina, after mothers of all these children who had disappeared filled the Capitol Plaza with posters of this song of Mary, the military junta banned all public displays of Mary's Magnificat in Argentina. In the end, though, it is not the song that does the turning of this world. And I think Mary and Elizabeth knew that in the depths of their hearts, and that is why they were so hopeful. It might have been a little bit like that hope that Mary Travers had when she looked out at the great crowd in 1963. She saw people still divided by race and money and privilege and social class, but somehow she knew that the world was about to turn and that she had an opportunity to play a part in it. So why aren't we looking out and seeing a dramatically different world today? Why aren't we seeing the fulfillment of everything that both Marys celebrated in their songs? One answer, if you believe in God, is to say that it is actually God's fault. God still done, does what God has done from the very beginning. Instead of overturning justice unilaterally and in supernatural ways, God still chooses to use human beings as the primary agents of change. And we know how long that takes. But in essence, that is really what all of these stories of Advent and Christmas bring to us. They are all about God coming to ordinary people and telling them that they have a role to play in the turning of this world, in the transformation of an unjust world. All of these stories that we're hearing and will hear tomorrow and Sunday are about God granting freedom and dignity to people from all walks of life by 
looking on them with favor and recognizing their potential to be bearers of God for others. In Mary and Elizabeth's case, God does this by going against almost everything they had experienced in this unjust world. Like so many people at that march on Washington, they both knew what it was like to be dismissed and disregarded. They both knew what it was like to be looked down on, to be treated as if they had no worth at all. But God looked on them with favor. And God said to each of them, I have a dream for this world that involves you and your gifts. From my station in life, I cannot honestly say that I see myself in any or either of these courageous women. I have never been dismissed and disregarded as they were. I've never been looked down upon in the same way that they were or treated as if I had no worth. And the distance from their experience between them and me actually made this a really hard sermon to write because I kept trying to make Mary's song my song and it did not fit. And then I remembered that I need to hear her song in the same way that I need to hear the songs and the stories of people today who have experienced something that I haven't. From my station in life, I need to hear the songs and the stories of people who have experienced racism or gender discrimination or religious intolerance or political repression. And I need to share those songs and those stories with others without pretending that they are my own. As a lifelong learner, I'm thankful for all, for all of those who have taught us about the harmfulness of appropriating things from people and cultures that are not our own and then pretending that they belong to us. In practice, it almost always involves the adoption of something from a minority culture by members of a dominant culture who don't understand or respect the original context or person or culture. It's sad, but I would say that this is exactly what has happened to Mary's song in much of the preaching and teaching in the Western church over thousands of years. Instead of letting it stand as the liberation song of a young Jewish girl, as her song of justice and hope, colonizers with power and privilege have adopted it and tamed it, claiming it as our own and taking so much away from it by doing that. So what does it mean for us today then? Should we just refrain from singing it altogether? In my view, that would be just as misguided as any act of appropriation. Because in truth, the whole world needs to hear this wild, revolutionary, passionate song. And to sing it in celebration of Mary's faith in a God who is turning the world of injustice to a world of peace and a world of fear to a world of hope.
I'm standing here today because I trust that that is happening. It may be hard to see because of how slow it is progressing. But we should remember that Mary wasn't looking out her window and seeing the fall of the Roman Empire at that moment. She was looking at past history and the future with the faith and with the vision of a dreamer. And she was ready to play her part without counting the cost. At that march in Washington in 1963, there were a lot of really well-known people, like Martin Luther King Jr. And there were a lot of famous singers like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Joan Baez, and Bob Dylan, and Mahalia Jackson. But most important, there were masses of people like you and me. Looking at them on those YouTube video clips this past week, I could see that they were from diverse races and social classes. They were young and old, male and female, rich and poor, overprivileged and underprivileged. But they often held hands together and they sang. They sang songs that weren't their own, trusting, I think, that they would somehow each play their part in a movement of freedom and dignity for all people. And if it sounds overly optimistic, then we have to let the young Mary inspire us one more time. Her song is called the Magnificat because she is magnifying, praising God for the surprising honor of being seen, being chosen as a bearer of God for others. That's the same miracle that is celebrated by people throughout the Bible who discover that they too are actually being included in God's unfolding plan to turn an unjust world upside down by the power of love. Yes, it takes time. Maybe a lot more time than any of us would like, which is why Advent teaches us to watch and to wait and to listen for our own holy call. Thanks be to God. Amen.